there and welcome to You Don't Hear That Every Day, where unique and unusual people tell their stories and bare their souls. Today's guest is a man who, I guess somewhat ironically, made a name for himself pretending to be someone else, <laughs> specifically a certain former president. Where will your great and strong presidential library be? Tampa, Florida. Okay, we've already picked out the site. It's going to be shaped like a T in between two strip clubs. J.L. Covin is a comic. He's got a law degree from Georgetown University that he has actually used. He became a lawyer <laughs> just before he kicked off his comedy career, which I'm told, or I heard, or I read, that he almost gave up on at one point in time, and that is where we'll begin our, our story. J.L., welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Nice to finally meet you in person. Obviously, we've seen each other on, on, on Twitter or X or, you know. Whatever they're calling it. Elon now. Musk's hell site. <laughs> that's, that's, that's yeah, that thing has really gone down, hasn't it? It's uh, not that we're here to talk about Elon Musk, but it's just sort of strange to see somebody take a product that was working yeah. and just spend $44 billion to destroy it. It feels like to he's like... It. Right, it's like in the movie Major League where her goal is to like ruin the team so they can move it somewhere else. It feels like he has some greater goal. Maybe he has a social media site that he wants to launch mm. and he wants to destroy Twitter first. I, I, um, I, but yeah, I hope I'm, you said unique and unusual individuals. I hope I'm in the unique uh, Yeah, I, I would say so because <laughs> I've been following you, as you mentioned, on the, the site formerly known as Twitter. And full disclosure, I actually paid money to see one of your remote comedy shows during yes. the uh, the pandemic. So, you know, I'm glad. I know you must be glad to be back on stage again, but I got to ask you, how do you get from law to comedy? Were you always a funny guy? I was, um, but I, you know, I never, I think nowadays with social media and everything, everybody who has uh, says something funny or does something thinks like I should, I should monetize this or do something with it sure but i was just always the funny friend in my group but never had any thoughts or ambitions beyond man it's nice to make your friends laugh that's right. like that's its own reward or it used to be <laughs> and um it was in law school uh when i started law school which was really the first time i think i'd had academic i don't want to say difficulties but where i was like for the first time i felt like i kind of hit a wall like it wasn't mm -hmm. easy and i couldn't just get through like you know, it was it was very difficult. And I think I got a little depressed in law school, to be honest. I was in a long distance relationship. I was kind of struggling with some of my classes and I needed I, I just kind of needed a hobby or something. And a guy in my building uh, during my second year of law school, he was just uh, he was he was running a free comedy show like in our neighborhood. He was like he saw me probably like hey, 23, 24 year old guy like that's who we want in our audience. And I was like, oh, yeah, I like comedy. I'll go. And I went to this show at a, at a bar near my apartment with a friend, and it was just eye-opening because it was really good. They were all sort of amateur comics, even though I actually know a couple of them still doing it and, like, have had some success. But it was just – it was one of those things where I said, oh, wow, A, that was really fun, and B, these were like – this wasn't Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle where you don't feel like it's, it's relatable or, like, you could do it. You know, this was like, oh, these guys are really funny, but they're, like, regular – regular dudes so to speak and that that kind of got me thinking oh. about trying it and you know that summer i was in dc and i started going to some open mics in washington dc and i, I i've always said i i went humbly because i understood making your friends laugh and making strangers laugh is a, they're different skill sets but 
at that first open mic in June of 2003, I think if they had booed me off stage, I would have been like, okay, it's not for me. But they were very nice. It was like a nice crowd at this open mic at a jazz club that did like a comedy open mic. And I think that just sort of, you know, made me want to continue it. And 20 years later, still continuing it. <laughs> yeah, I read that you had been doing this a pretty long time and had had some moderate success with it, right? right. You weren't, weren't sure. And you were thinking about letting it go. And then you started doing Trump. Tell me how this happened. Um, I had been doing Trump and it wasn't good, but nobody like like it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. But I was doing it for fun. I'd always kind of done impressions sort of, you know, I used to do them on stage. And then I sort of with YouTube, once I started a YouTube channel, I said, OK, on stage, I can do my stand up stories, jokes and YouTube can be a more natural format to doing sketches and impressions. Because sometimes on stage, it's very annoying when you have to get into an impression because you have to set up fake scenarios and be like, you know, wouldn't it be crazy if and then he met so and so. And it's just very contrived. Whereas if you're doing a sketch, the sketch is its own universe. And so I started doing a Trump off, like just fooling around in 2015 um, before he even, you know, before he announced or anything. And. It was decent, and a friend of mine said, hey, we should do a podcast. Like, let's do a podcast. Like, I'll be the moderator, you just be Trump, and it'll be a weekly show. So we've been doing that for, like, a little over five years now. And I think that we didn't have a lot of – we had, like, 400 listeners, which is nice when you're nobody. You're still like, hey, 400 people out there are listening to our show. But it wasn't some big game-changing show. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, we're going to get sponsorships. And, and it was just, you know, hey, it's a, it's a good weekly exercise. But that's – how the impression really got good, both through physical repetition, but also an hour a week hmm. for years, I was ad-libbing news and culture events as Trump. So when people ask me now, when they see the videos, like, oh, how do you do it? Like, is that off the cuff? And I go, I've probably done, other than Donald Trump himself, I don't think anybody's lived more as Donald Trump on earth than me. Oh, no, that's and so. But the podcast wasn't wasn't really hitting. It was fun to do. But like in 2019, I had reached sort of an end point. I was 40 years old. I'd been doing comedy just over 16 years. And like I said, I'd been on TV. I'd gotten on some big shows, but never the sustained success that, you know, I had given a decade of my life where I was prioritizing comedy. So I was instead of having a regular job, I was doing part time legal work to pay the bills. But it was like a month-to-month -month existence for a decade. Never stressful, because I always could, if really need be, just say, well, I, I have to get just a full-time job. And I, I could do that, but I was choosing to make comedy the priority. And then a job at a law firm fell into my lap in August of 2019. And I knew that it would really curtail my ability to like be free to travel and do all the things that I had been doing with comedy. But I said, when a good job at 40 shows up out of the blue you take it like, you know, this, I'm not 26. It's not right. like I'm right in the mix of everybody's desired demographic. Like this job is a, is, is a message from above. Like, all right, I respect that you've done all this thing, these things with comedy, but health benefits and good money, take it. So I took it and I was basically prepared to just be like, I'm going to keep doing comedy as a hobby, but I can't keep making it the priority because at that point I realized I have, I have skills and I have work ethic, but I don't have the luck, the big break. And if I'm sitting around waiting for luck, I can wait for luck while doing, doing a day job that pays me more money if I need right. luck to, to intervene. 
And then the pandemic, as it were, uh, the worst case of bad luck for most people, obviously. So, 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 you, so, fast forward a little bit for me. Yes, you, you're doing Trump online on Twitter. You're putting up, you're posting. And when did you realize? Hey, wait a second. This thing is, this thing is catching on. Well, that's the thing. It was really only my third video because I was I was not doing those videos until I had to work from home. So, so now I'm at home, kind of bored and saying, ah, do I, I'm bored. Let me do. Like I had no expectation. No thought that like, oh, this is going to blow up. I did one video two weeks, like March 24th, 2020 was the big video that got like 10, like 10, over 10 million hits across platforms. It was the third video I'd done. I, the first video I did got like 10,000 views. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty good. I got 50 new followers. That's great. I'll do another one. And then I did one and it, it, it was complete luck. That's It's the crazy thing is that it really was... Like I had a good video, I had a good impression, I'm a good comedian, but it was completely luck. And so it was March 24th, like the next week of my life was when it all hit me that I now have, you know, I just picked up 100,000 followers and millions of views and I'm being asked to do interviews with media and things like that. So it, was, it, was, it wasn't a gradual process. It was like a lightning bolt happened. Wow. And fortunately, I had a lot of videos, a lot of sketch videos, a lot of stand-up, so that when people came to see this thing and maybe did a little more exploration of my stuff, I had a, like a kind of a library of things for them to to learn and explore and enjoy. So it was it was a good thing. The way I approached my my career the whole time was, you know, the, you know the phrase "dress for the job you want, not the job you have." Well, I did sure. comedy for the for the, the 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 level of comedian I wanted to be, not the level of comedian I was. <laughs> so. So there was a good amount of good stuff out there because, you know, I always took things seriously, even when I was a, you know, somebody with 2000 followers and no, no money coming in. <laughs> yeah, well, it was interesting to me. I mean, you didn't focus on the impression part of your comedy, right? You, you focused on the jokes and telling stories and doing the things right. you do, but the impressions I've always thought that people who could do impressions were very special. There's, everybody can do jokes, but it's right, right, right. very few people can really mimic who are mimics, right? Who can right. do somebody else and do it well. And when I've seen them, I think personally that it's hilarious when it's done well. Oh, sure. And I know, and I agree. I just, it's like, and maybe I became too much of a pretentious artist, but I like doing impressions, but I just feel like stand up the way, like stand up, like impressions I think are most organically good in sketch setting. Because you don't have to waste time on stage going, hey, look at this scenario, or what if I did this? And, you know, I slip in an impression once in a while on stage. And, like, because I got so much um, attention for the impressions, I'll end a lot of shows with sort of like a Q&A where people can just kind of ask, the, like, some of their imp the impressions questions. Um, but as far as stand-up, I have sort of a lot to say and a lot of, a lot of things that are just better suited to stand-up. But that... That's why my YouTube channel is sort of like a mix and probably leans heavier in impressions because I feel like it's it's just more organic to that format to, and it works better for, for at least the way I the way I think. Can, can you talk about the science of it a little bit? Like oh, sure. how do you pick a guy and say, I'm going to do Trump or I'm going to do Mike Pence or I'm going to do, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Senate uh, Minority Leader uh, McConnell. Mitch McConnell. To raise taxes on our... Wonderful corporations. Lower 
the cost of prescription drugs. Uh, is there certain things about a person that make you say, I can make him funny? I, it is, it is weird because I think sometimes I, I try to think back, like, what was I thinking 20 years ago when I do an impression? Cause now it's sort of a skill. I kind of, you know, you don't ask a basketball player in their 10th season, like, how do you get your handles so good? Right. Cause right, it's yeah. been something they've been doing for so long. But if you could ask them like in high school, like, what did you do where you knew you could do a certain trick or, 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 or play a certain way. And I think, I, I don't know if it comes, obviously there's a physical skill to it that you can't necessarily work on. Like, like some people, either it's the ear or the, or the, or the vocal cords or something that you have a little bit of a unique skill, just like not everybody can slam dunk, even if they try. But I think I sometimes wonder, you know, in my house, my father was a Haitian immigrant. My mother was a Bronx born Irish American woman. And I went to private school, but I grew up in New York. You get a lot of accents going. And I sometimes wonder if in that environment, it made me kind of just pick up on lots of different things. Um, but with an impression, I kind of, 80% of the time, I'd say, I just kind of know if that person is in my range. Like, yeah. like if it, even if I don't have it yet, I can sort of go, I think that's in a range I can do. And then sometimes there's people where I go like Biden. I don't really think I can do, there's a lot of people trying, but I feel like Biden has such a, a worn down voice because he's an, a much older man that I'm surprised that somebody hasn't hired an older person to impersonate him because I, I can't replicate that. I can pretend to just be like, hey man, come on, but it's not there. Whereas like a McConnell, you know, I can just sort of even like, I kind of watched him and said, I think I can just do that. And, and a funny one, just in terms of breaking down the science, like Don Jr. is one that I do a decent amount. And Don Jr. was one I couldn't at first. But as he, I don't know what he's been going through the last four <laughs> or five years, his voice started to change into more of a, like a frog, like a frog, like a back of his throat kind of fro frog voice where it's like here. And I said, oh, it's almost like he's trying to help me out. It's almost like he moved into my range, whereas he wasn't there before. Okay, okay. Um, a couple of, a couple of quick things. First of sure. all, how did you decide to do Biggie Smalls then, going by what you're saying? It was just, it was, I think sometimes I just, I'll, I'll give you a good example. Before Biggie, there was a, vi my first viral video was a Louis C.K. impression video. And it was called Louis C.K. Tells the Classics. And it was my biggest video until the Trump 2020 stuff. And that was, it was like ten, seven years earlier. So it was my biggest video. And that started with me just kind of mocking him in front of a friend. Like I wasn't trying to do an impression. I was just kind of, you know, the way somebody might just make fun of a coworker or something like, mm -hmm. you know, when Mike comes in, he's all like, get over there, man. And it's like, oh, but that by Louis CK mockery actually kind of sounded like him. And the person said, that's actually pretty good. And then I was like, okay, well now I know I have something to work with. With Biggie, I've often joked Biggie and J.B. Smoove are like the same impression because I had a J.B. Smoove impression also. And they're they're like the same impression, but one is like like Biggie is J.B. Smoove slowed down. <laughs> like if you slow like if you had a record of J.B. Smoove and just like did one of those. Woo, woo, woo. So, you know, like J.B. Smoove is kind of like fast paced. Hey, I have a hey, Larry David. I have a question for you, Larry David. I'm sorry to curse. I was just, you know, sometimes. That's okay. This is podcasting. But you, you get it. Like J.B. Smoove, 
kind of curses a lot, but it's like, it's very fast, Bobby Dick. You got to talk to a black man. When you go to the store, you can't talk to him. And it's just fast. And then Biggie is like that, slowed down. So I was like, oh, so I was talking to Larry David. And he said, oh, dude. I was like, yeah, what? Yeah, so I was talking to Larry David, right? And it's like, it's their kind of like cousins, like just different speeds. So I don't know which one I discovered first was kind of in my wheelhouse, but then it made, you know, sometimes you can just kind of pivot off one, like build on one impression and kind of pivot to a, to a new one also. You, you mentioned that you were biracial, right? Yes. Your, the dad's Haitian and your mom is of Irish descent. Mm -hmm. um, did you think that that gives you sort of some street cred to do some things that you wouldn't feel comfortable doing if you were just a white guy? And by the way, you kind of look like a white guy. Oh, so. no, of course. I, I mean, that's that's like a lot of my act, like my, my most recent special is called or album is called Half Blackface. Right. Obviously a provocative title, but it, but implicit there is like living your life as, you know, I joke about saying like, I don't say the N word, not that I ever want to. But I don't need to litigate whether I can say it or not, you know, because I go, yeah, I'll win in a, you know, I make a jo whole joke about like, yeah, I could win a court case on why I could say it. But why would I go through all that? And I have no desire to say it. But I, I'm very self-aware of what I look like. Mm -hmm. You know, I've told people, I'm like, I'm very 1880s black, but 2020s Italian, maybe Middle Eastern. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm very, so I turn that into its own joke. Um, and it's, and that's like sort of central to a lot of my standup. So I don't think it, I don't try to take what one might say, take advantage. Cause I'm sure there are white comics out there who'll be like, oh, he's just saying, like he's making that joke cause he's half black and he thinks he can get away with it. I don't approach comedy as something I can get away with because I have said before, I had a friend who, who once commented that sometimes I would do jokes and not tell people I was biracial. You know, mm -hmm. just didn't feel like doing those jokes that time. So, and you could see a crowd pulling back, you know, not, kind of not feeling as comfortable. And then my friend, he said, I always respected the fact that you would never let that crowd off the hook by letting them know you were biracial. Because if you believe in the jokes, and, and trust me, mm -hmm. I am no cancel culture warrior. I think a lot of those people are, you know, just making an excuse for saying hateful things. But I do think jokes should stand on their own. Like, I don't think I should have to be, of course, there's certain language and certain things that you should be part of a community to say, but there's a lot that I don't think you have to be, oh, you can't make that joke unless there's a lot of jokes that I think, no, I think we should be able to say that if we have a certain trust in, in the ethics of comedy, but I never try to get away with things. I do what I think, you know, I can speak of my own experience and part of the joke that I talk about on the, on the latest album is kind of like, what happened? I am half black though. So, so can I talk like when I talk about this or when I say something like, Oh, when Sammy day, when, when Billy Crystal did Sammy Davis jr. On SNL, I didn't have a problem with it. Cause I thought it was a great impression. It was. And right. But, and then I said, but is my opinion valid or do I, would you need me to look more black or, or represent more black to have like a valid opinion on, because somebody might say, no, 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 I don't think that's right. I don't think it's, and they can have that opinion too. But that's that's sort of the things I play with. So I don't I never try to take advantage or like, ha ha ha, I'm getting away with this. You know, it's more like this is what I think is funny. And this is my background. And if you need that to make you feel better about me making certain jokes, fine. But I'd like to think I'd be making the same jokes mostly 
regardless you, of what my background is. You have to is. be courageous to be a comic these days and, and, and push the envelope a little bit because I know uh, you know there are comics that have taken a lot of sla- a lot of heat. Uh, Dave Chappelle being one sure. of them, um, you know, for some of the jokes he's made. Do uh, you have to be at the point where you say, you know what? I don't care what you say. It's you know. I think, and this is not to make myself or people in my position feel more heroic, but I think it's a lot tougher to be a sort of unknown comic or a lightly known comic and speak what you think is funny and truth or whatever. Dave Chappelle will catch a lot of heat, but Dave Chappelle is like financially insulated and has such a huge fan base that like him going after trans people is an example. Um, I was one of those people who thought his jokes were funny and some people found them offensive, but then he started veering into kind of the lecture, the TED Talk series about it. And I was like, well, now it's not even comedy. So I don't know if you get that same protection of like, I'm just a comedian because you're kind of trying to be serious with some of the stuff. Right. Um, I think for me, it, it can be tough, but I just have to, I've done it long enough that I trust my own instincts and my own conscience. Like it, I do comedy because I like, like, I don't want to, and this sounds self-aggrandizing and I don't mean it to be, like, I don't want to compromise what I think is funny because maybe some people either won't get it or appreciate it or find it offensive. I never try to offend people. I'm never like one of those people who's like, this will be good for algorithms because I'm saying something edgy. I don't, I don't do that. But I've done it long enough and I know myself as a person that, yeah, I don't know if it takes a ton of courage anymore for me to do things. There are things I did 10 years ago where it was like, I'm taking some risks and, and maybe then, but right now I'm just like, if you don't like it, you don't like it. I'm not saying anything that's out of bounds or not, you know, so if you don't like it, you don't like it, move on. But I don't, I don't think at this point I'm at a a point where I'm like, I, I'm taking a risk here. It's like, I'm a good person and a good comedian. And if, if some people find flaws or fault, that's fine. But I don't really, I don't go places that make me nervous, not because I'm not pushing any envelopes, but because I go, hmm. I'm operating within standard comedy ethics and comedy guidelines. I don't try to offend. I try to be funny. <laughs> so can, let me ask you this back to Trump for just a second. Yes, sir. Do you feel as though, and I haven't even asked you about your own personal politics and I'm not going to, uh, okay. but the guy got elected. He may get elected again. Is this good for JL Coban? Mm. I think, I think at this point, no, um, I'm, I am sort of tuckered out, uh, mm. forgive the pun of, uh, of, of, of Trump. It's, I like doing, I still can make it funny. I still find kind of original angles on things. And I know of most of the people who do impressions out there, I know that I am a more skilled comedian than most. Uh, in the impression scheme. So like my ad libs, my, you know, so I know I can still make a good product when it comes to Trump, but I'm, 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 I'm more than ready as a citizen and a comedian to move on from Trump. Uh, it was, it's been good for me. I don't think I ever pandered. I, you know, I turned down gigs for like, like right wing organizations that were like, we want a Trump, you know, we have a Candace Owens, event and we'd love a Trump in person. And I'm like, first of all, you definitely haven't watched most of my videos. You've probably only seen like two. And secondly, no, I'll pass. Like, I don't want like, you know, so, so 
it's is it good because algorithms will boost Trump content and then my YouTube videos get more views and stuff? Of course, that that there's a real tangible benefit. But at this point, I, I honestly think if I still need Trump three years from now, then then I should just be doing something else with my like if I if if I haven't made people appreciate or see my stand up or my other impressions or my writing or or anything, you know. If I need that one trick to keep people coming back eight years later or something, then then it's I'm washed up anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. Dale so, Colbert, you can see him on YouTube. You can yes. see him on the site formerly known as Twitter. You're still on there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm still um, hosting. He's all over the place, and he's now. probably coming to a town near you soon, right? You, do you, are, you, are you traveling at all? I'm, I'm I'm on the road right now, wrapping up. I'm my next gig on my schedule is Salt Lake City, um, and then I actually have on December first, and the ticket link is on my website is jlcomedy.com. So everything, socials, links, everything is on that site. Uh, December first in New York City, I'm doing uh, a live Trump show. Oh. So that'll be me as Trump. It's like our, our podcast, a live version of our podcast. So that's me in full character you know, doing a full hour as Trump in like a Q&A. So if anybody is like particularly a fan of the of the Trump stuff, this is the event to, to go to, obviously. Yeah, it's a perfect lead into saying you don't hear that every day. So, <laughs> Dale <laughs> Copan, thank you so much. We appreciate oh, you. you. Looking Great forward to you. seeing a lot more of your work. Yes, sir. Thank you. I'm Derek McGinty, and as I mentioned, you 